0: And welcome to Book 101 Review. Book 101 Review is all about the books that are read, and today, I have my special guest: Safa Burnell.:
1: Hello, hi, hi, and welcome everybody to Book 101 Review. I am Safa Burnell. I am a Canadian cyberpunk and mythpunk author. I'm also a developmental editor for a small press and a poet. So it's a lot of fun to be here today. I cannot wait to have just another brilliant discussion and actually get to see uh, Mr. Lucas in person. This is wonderful. Hi, <laughs> <laughs>
0: hello, Miss Bernal. It's been a long hello. time. We do we're doing the <laughs> audio. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful.
1: It's like oh hi,
0: <laughs> hi, <laughs> no, no. hi you in person through uh, <laughs> uh, this uh, technology. So today, Miss Bernal, it. what are we gonna talk about?
1: Today, we're talking about science fantasy. And we're also talking about uh, how some of my books might fit into that kind of genre. Science fantasy is basically a kind of light combination of science fiction and fantasy novels. It's a bit of a hybrid. It's usually where you find a lot of Either combinations of magic with technology, or you've got world building that's a little bit softer than something like your Peter Watts, hardcore, hard sci-fi. And you're bringing in that little brush of, we don't necessarily need to know how it works. We just know it works. And it works amazingly. It usually contains some elements of the supernatural, and usually those elements of the supernatural are used to disregard some form of physical or natural law. So, teleportation, flight, things like
0: that. Yes, science fantasy novels involved also in blending of science fiction with fantasy focusing on novels that merge technological advancements with magical elements Speculative mm-hmm. scientists' discoveries and a lot more. So, Ms. Bernal, which science fantasy novels' featured world of magic is from advanced technologies misunderstood?
1: Oh, I think you know when I think of science fantasy novels. Okay, I'm going to say a little bit of a hot take, and then I'm going to smooth it over. <laughs> Number one, I would say Dune. <laughs> The Dune series by, uh, by Frank Herbert, those ones have this sort of mystic energy, this sort of magic to them. But there also seems to be this underlying scientific and chemical sort of presence that's going on uh, underneath that sort of mystic field. So I would definitely call Dune closer to science fantasy than I would call it science fiction or fantasy, especially with the space travel you know and the weapons and different things like that uh the next one that i would posit is more science fantasy and this is going to be a little bit of a hot take but star wars you have high technology you've got mm-hmm. ships that go faster than light you have different planets you have translation machines you have androids you know robots you've got starfighters you've got all of this but you also have the force and that sort of and although you know this is like oh yeah but there're miniclorians and miniclorians are actual things that you can test so doesn't that make it scientific the way that the force is used in the canon of Star Wars really is more of a religious more of a magic than it is a science so i would posit that the entirety of star wars is science fantasy going back through the novels through the clone wars novels you know oh you know how many novels have there been in the legacy of star wars i think that is a a good kind of like well if you think about it Let's start with a big one, like a couple big yes. ones, Dune and, uh, and Star Wars, and then work our way down to like In the Shadow of the Throne. Um, you've also got books like Red Moon by Kim Stanley Robinson and Gareth Powell's Embers of War. Um, I, you could posit that Isaac Asimov's The Rings of Saturn, but some people call it just straight sci-fi. I've heard somebody trying to argue with science fantasy, but I'm like, it's Asimov, it's sci-fi. Let's be honest. <laughs>
0: Be honest here. Yes, (laughs) let's be honest. May Mm -hmm. the force be with us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, so Ms. Bernal, can you name science fantasy series where protagonists use both spells and space travels to navigate their adventures?
1: I think when I think of like specifically science fantasy. Again, the first thing I would do is talk about um, Star Wars. Star Wars is a big one. I think, too, I would look at the fifth season, you know, the series by that starts with the fifth season by N.K. Jemisin. I definitely like N.K. Jemisin's work when it comes to uh, her series with, you know, the gods and everything like that and this rise of science as it goes through it. Um, Robert Jordan's written quite a few. I know, which have mm-hmm. a little bit of that sort of difference between science and magic when it comes to navigation. I mean, I, I was raised on, you know, the old school TV shows, too. So you know, you have, you know, Earth Final Conflict, you've got um, oh, gosh, there here. <laughs> On the spot. Just remember that TV show, it was only on for one season back in the 90s. So clearly I'm like, which one is it? It was um oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to look that one up because my mind just went <laughs> blank. I clearly have not had enough delicious coffee yet.
0: Uh, we need coffee I, in the morning.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. And I mean, when you look at, you know, there's the whole, you know, science advanced enough looks like magic so you can get a lot of that kind of thrill you have that in dune with the um with the navigators and the reason why spice is so important and the reason why they have to kind of chemically alter their brain in order to see where to go in the space lanes and how to navigate uh really well uh, and then you see what you know the actual denizens of arrakis do with such things and i think that's going to be really interesting to see what they do with that in Dune 2 which is coming out i believe this year yes. uh, dune 1 was an incredible tour de force in film and i mean dune is one of those bedrocks of science fantasy in the entire world i really do believe that i uh, i think you know if you go back far enough you can see some elements of science fantasy even in the works of like george mcdonald back in the 1800s And he, of course, was not thinking necessarily as science fantasy. He was thinking of purely fantasy, but there are scientific elements in some of his work, especially in Lilith, the novel Lilith, which he created, which was for adults, uh, unlike the Princess and the Goblins, which was for kids. I also think of something like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Whom a lot Mm -hmm. of people call this science fiction, and one of the first works of science fiction. I mean, we have an extant Roman era piece of literature that has a group of adventurers going on their ship and sailing to the moon (laughs) and meeting the moon people and having adventures there and going out to battle in the stars and being asked to stay as you know nobility within these places (laughs) but eventually making their way home back to rome you know and that was in the third century um ad you know so we've got some science fantasy going on there because definitely with the the science of the time it was definitely science based with that fantasy element in there because you're going to the moon now unless there was an incredible space program in the roman empire of which i am not availed i'm pretty sure that we can absolutely list that as science fantasy and for me that one was really fun to look into (laughs)
0: Definitely, indeed, so Ms. Bernal, what science fantasy novels explores the ethical implication of blending human consciousness with the artificial intelligence through magical framework? Ooh,
1: that one, I'm trying to think science fantasy and not just science fiction. And when we look at specifically at science fiction, the first thing I would look at is the the Sprawl Trilogy by William Gibson. And I would look at, you know, how certain AI were created. You know, in Neuromancer, we have the creation of AI based on a dead man that Case knew. And that AI continues to talk to him as if through the dead man's voice. And he leads case through all of the ice, through all of the different hacks to get to the eventual AI that are at the center of, you know, this storyline, you know, through the center of Neuromancer and then going forward, you know, because you've got the Tessier actual AI that are in there. And so I think that when I'm looking at this sort of combination between the sort of the human element and the machine. I start with William Gibson, mostly because I think that was my introduction to it. It's not that that's the first time it's ever happened, but he did it so well. He did it so well and so amazingly where you've got Case who is fully human. You've got his companion who's kind of human-ish, but Case is very aware that this is just an artifice. It's not this person come back from the dead to guide him this is just a sense of of artificial and then you go all the way into the AI which you get this sense that maybe this isn't an AI but maybe it is you know how human is this AI how do you go from there I think um if I might be facetious Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) This is my novel, Neon (laughs) Lieben. It is a work of cyberpunk. I do take a look at the nature of consciousness and the nature of sapience in the machine. And I do so with, you know, I'm a comparative mythologist. You know, I am somebody who has been deeply steeped into comparing the history of religion and, and religion all the way through and, and how mystic traditions kind of combine it in various areas of the world in various time periods. And so there is absolutely a sort of mystic tone to the way that I approach that binding of consciousness from human to machine and that sort of transhumanist pull of Uploading. Eventually, we're all going to upload into the cloud. Eventually, we're all going to, you know, have artificial bodies and have this sort of immortality, you know, to us. I find it very fascinating to look at that, not just as a scientific potential eventuality, but what will we gain? What will we lose? If that takes place. I say if because I don't believe that everybody is going to upload to some form of cloud someday. I believe that it is only going to be a certain amount of people that do so. And uh, whether or not people allow that kind of thing is is on a little bit of shaky ground. So I have fun with that yes. idea quite a bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is this your uh, best-selling uh, novel, right? Neil yes. Levin? but before we go on Miss uh, Burnell, yes, please show them (laughs) best-selling novel of Miss Safa Bernal
1: and it is available everywhere
0: <laughs> yes everywhere worldwide but before we go on Miss Burnell, I want to shout out my ranking tops for the last 30 days according to pad status because in Cameroon I got number five on the apple chart Bhutan at number six Jamaica at number 20 Cambodia at 31 Taiwan at 34 for Japan at 49, Malaysia at 66, Zambia at 91, Thailand at 109, South Africa 115, and a lot more. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast because this podcast is created to empower writers all over the world like Miss Safa Burnell. So Miss Burnell, which novel introduces a civilization that powers its futuristic technology through ancient or arcane energies.
1: Ooh, I'm going to go with the Prince of Thorns series. Yes. The Prince of Thorns series. I love that series. It was given to uh, to me by a uh, former business partner of mine. And, oh my gosh, Prince of Thorns, King of Thorns, and then Emperor of Thorns, uh, just incredible books that you think are pure sant- fantasy at the beginning. You know, you think there's nothing uh, but fantasy within this and magic and the way things work. And then all of a sudden you start seeing some places that the Prince of Thorns is going and you start realizing, okay, there's a sickness going. There's this this plague, this kind of sickness that goes in these certain um, areas, you know, and then there's this search. For technology this search for this you know ancient weapon and you don't really frame it as a post-apocalyptic world until about three quarters of the way through prince of thorns and then all of a sudden you're like oh 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 my gosh that's what it's radiation poisoning Mm -hmm. it's this oh my goodness so it is called the broken empire trilogy and Oh, my gosh. You know, such good books. Mark Lawrence did a fabulous job. I love how he takes first the prince and then the king and then going on to emperor through this sort of anti-hero, you know, villain arc. I just love how he does that because I don't necessarily love the main character. You know, I I don't fall in love with York um, because he's a little bit of a bastard. If I might say that word, (laughs) you know, he's a little bit of a bastard and, uh, he gets a little bit more, um, how shall I say antagonistic as things go on. Uh, but I love it. I love getting into that, that rich, psychology and for me what makes the broken empire trilogy really work when it comes to science fantasy because i would qualify it as science fantasy just in my like you could just call it fantasy but there is still that like oh hey this is stuff from the civilization that that was i'm like okay so some that's radiation poisoning not a magical thing so i'm gonna call it science fantasy for a minute just for the purpose of today (laughs) uh um, for
0: the sake of our podcast yeah for the sake of the podcast (laughs) let's
1: talk about the broken empire trilogy mark lawrence did a fabulous job (laughs) love <laughs> it. Uh, but the thing that got me was how complex the characters were. And then we had the world building too. And so the world building was as complex as the characters. And I love that. I thrive on reading fiction, where those characters are alive and brilliant and complicated. And they're not simple. They're not, you know, it's kind of something that they got from kind of list this trope you know but it's this complicated kind of complex emotional life and then you have really cool stuff and yes. you know throw in a dragon if you want throw in a dragon which is really a space alien that's come down from the moon you know throw in the secret weapon that they're trying to use to you know save the kingdom and and have an expansionist war throw in the fact that it's some form of vibro or some form of firearm or some form of other thing like that in a fantasy world you know uh we see this in a very simplistic way with the evil dead series you know look at this is my boomstick you know and all of a sudden it's just like holy <laughs> like, it's magic it's like well no it's not it's just a gun but it appeared like magic because it was sufficiently advanced and so i, I love it i i really liked uh, that series that one was a really good one to read i think the more I think of on just specifically science fantasy, I think we have to kind of address a little bit that the trend in the last few years that I've been seeing, especially in new adult literature and kind of this this literary space that's kind of brushing off from YA going into new adult literature and then into you just kind of trade and general population literature is a blending of various things. So where science fantasy is a specific hybrid there's a lot of blending science fiction and fantasy together until it's it's almost like you're like, well, where are you going to put this? And then the question is, well, I'm, I, I think you can put it both places. Okay, okay, that's uh, Fine. You get one shelf. <laughs> what shelf are you going to put it on? Where are your people?
0: <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. for sure. So this is in the science fantasy book. Does the discovery of magical artifact challenge the loss of physics as understood by the characters?
1: Okay. Um, Let me think about that for a second. Trying to think.
0: Is it a Star Trek? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, so a magical artifact that changes physics yes um you know there's a lot i think (laughs) you know i'm just kind of okay so i'm putting my nerd hat on right now but anything with thor in it in marvel comics (laughs) 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 you know uh so you've got characters like thor in comics you've got characters like wonder woman Mm. Even in DC comics, yes. she is technically her power is magical because it comes from divinity. And so it means that like, I remember when I was reading Kingdom Come, uh, which if if you are into comic books at all, even if you're not, even if you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, well, they might look cool graphic novel every once in a while, read Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. It is one of the best representations of a co- what comics can be that I've ever seen in my life. It's just a fantastic graphic novel. And the artwork is insane.
0: Yes, definitely. Just like X-Men too. I think. They are powerful in anime, something else that we cannot do in motion pictures. So Ms. Bernal, can you identify a science fantasy novel where the main character is a sorcerer and a scientist using both disciplines to solve a central conflict?
1: Oh, Yeah, okay, so I'm trying to think of which the best one is here. I've got Aether Ones, I think would be the first one that I would go to. Um, Aether Ones by Wendy Coffin Porter. You know, you've got this kind of cosmic split between a realm of technology and a realm of magic. And the main characters tend to figure things out in various ways i think you could also posit that witch world the um, high hallix cycle by andre norton does that a fair bit uh when it comes to a character being both a scientist and a magician i mean you could even go back to Okay, this is going to be, again, a little bit nerdy, but, you know, hear me out. (laughs) The Out of the Silent Planets trilogy by C.S. Lewis, with Mm. Paralandra, Out of the Silent Planet, and That Hidden Strength, where you have this rational scientific person, and then slowly they learn more about the mysticism around them and things like that as they go on. I mean, it is C.S. Lewis, so full disclosure, that means that there will be some religious themes, you know, but it is still a quite serviceable work of science fiction. And I could posit science fantasy as well, because it has not only the science part, but it also has magic in how the different alien worlds, you know, the main character, he goes to Mars, he goes to Venus, you know, he goes to these various planets, and there is a mysticism there, there is a spirituality there, there is a sort of good and evil kind of uh, force I think uh, for me, I would look at, you know, the Lord Darcy novels by Randall Garrett, um, where you have magic being treated as a form of science. I think you can go with the Rivers of London series with Ben Aronovich. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I said that pretty good. Okay, I was about to correct myself. I was like, no, actually, I think I said it. Uh, said where it. Peter Grant is a police officer and a wizard. So you get that kind of mixture between both of them. I think, you know, if I want to be, again, a little bit selfish, you can look at the character of Icarus in
0: mm, yes. um,
1: Char and Dash and Son of Abel in my Judge of Mystic series right here. There's the first two books.
0: Yay!
1: Love them. Yes, And then. Icarus is further in Book of Revels and Ganongagop. And actually, the character of Icarus and their brother, Lou, is coming up in the... They are the heroes of the Waxwing series, which we are currently in uh, development of, uh, which is an audio series. So that'll be really fun, too. I actually quite think that anytime you see an alchemist, really... (laughs) You're seeing that combination between science and magic, because that's really what alchemy was when you look at it historically. And you look at these people that we actually have a lot to thank the alchemists for in figuring out how to do chemistry.
0: Yes. How are we going to do chemistry? Yeah. (laughs) And physics. All I know
1: about chemistry is that I kept blowing things up, but um, (laughs) didn't know you could blow up lactose. (laughs) But apparently you can.
0: Boom. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so miss bernard before we go and i'm inviting you to listen to my other podcast food 101 our fourth season with chef alessandro one of the best executive chef in one of the five-star restaurants in downtown toronto so please do listen to our latest episode we talk about our book people volume 12 food 101 volume 12 italian cuisine plus one more our books are out not only one but 13 volumes people book a Food 101, Volume 1, Basics, until 13 is only the books that you need. How to create a delicious food available on Amazon and leading online bookstores worldwide. So, Miss Bernal, let's talk about all your books. <laughs>
1: one of my favorite topics all right so i am a uh, bestseller when it comes to cyberpunk and when it comes to uh poetry and mythpunk so, these are all kind of subgenres. Cyberpunk is a subgenre of sci fi. Mythpunk is a subgenre of fantasy. And uh, this was my first large scale novel. This is Neon Leibin. It is the first book in my cyberpunk series, of which the sequel is coming out this year. Emptiness at the Center is slated for later on this year. And This one is a combination between AI and super soldiers and figuring out whether or not the world's first sapient AI, a female presenting AI named Leben, is going to help or hinder various groups and which ideology is going to end up being the one that saves or condemns the world and then it is interplayed on seventy years later, after Lieben has taken control of the planet. What happens when a genetically altered super soldier washes up in a clue-lit British Columbia, off of the Pacific the Pacific Ocean end of Vancouver Island? So it gets really passionate. It gets very emotionally grounded and has lots of combat. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Lots of my, combat. oh yeah
1: Nicole. i i love combat so i'm like yes emotional scene <laughs> fight scene emotional scene fight scene you know and then some things in the middle to round out some humor my first publication was actually this guy this mm, is usurper kings yes. and that is my social media handle everywhere usurper kings uh, at usurper kings is where you can find me across social media everything from twitter to blue sky so I'm around even on Twitch. And this is my poetry collection. And so this one I would say was much more personal. In a way, I discuss the feminine through time from hunter-gatherer all the way to a existential singularity as seen from a transhumanist perspective. So I start off with poems where I'm building off of early mythology and, and building off of these sorts of primitive, and I don't say primitive as a negative, just primitive as that's where we started. You know, that was the bedrock, that was the foundation of of what we eventually become. Um, all the way through to this idea of basically uploading into a cloud and what mm-hmm. happens to gender what happens to the feminine and the masculine when all of a sudden there's no bodies anymore and so i get really philosophical i also get really fun uh Usurper kings is very experimental when it comes to certain poems and very kind of you know grounded in history when it comes to others because i have everything from actual shakespearean sonnets all the way to kind of word art in there um Now, these two are the ones that I'm currently in love with right now. I love all my works, but these ones, this series is two books are out. Two books are coming this year. And then uh, there's another two books coming next year for The Judge of Mystic Saga. The Judge of Mystic Saga is also a place where I'm developing an audio drama. And I have already started developing and releasing tabletop role-playing content. So you can actually play games around your table, yes. casual, chill, one-shot role-playing games that are repeatable because you can, you know, do a whole bunch of story stuff, random, uh where you can just enjoy and fall in love with these characters, hopefully the same way that I have. And so it starts off with Char and Dash. This is book one of the Judge of Mystic Saga, where Judge Caleb Malthusen is brought to the stage. Of a mass magical murder and has to figure out who's doing this, what they're trying to do before war were declared between formerly warring and tensely truce-bound magic realms who all converge on planet Earth, a.k.a. Midgard, the plane of Midgard. And he is the only one who can potentially stop it. And uh, so what's the first thing he does? Call his girlfriend for help.
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> uh, his girlfriend <laughs>
1: being a uh 1000 year old slavic badass so i i love caleb and tuya teaming up in Sharanash, and it has a very explosive finale that brings us into son of abel
0: Mm. now this
1: was originally published in uh, the macro microcosm magazine as a much smaller story than it is now and it was a story i couldn't let go of and so i had to edit and add and add and eventually it became the entirety of the judge of mystic saga and this is what happens it happens basically right after chara nash so there's not a whole lot of time between the two books maybe a couple of days. And everyone's looking for Caleb. What happened to him? Where did he go? And eventually it's Lou, the brother of Icarus, that finds him. And through Son of Abel, we see that sort of valley, you know, that emotional valley that Caleb is going through. We see him battling a different kind of demon. And then at the end of Son of Abel, you see that life is start, going to start coming up and there's going to be sunshine uh, once again. And he's going to keep looking for the villains that created the disastrous finale of Chardash, one of which is in Macabre and Monstrous. Wow. And this is a horror anthology and it has myself and it also has my podcast co-hosts Emily Armstrong and Kes Bischoff. And uh, we, the three of us come together as the trio of We Aren't Dead Yet, which is a podcast on TTRPGs, gamer culture, and literature, um, which you can see on Spotify, Substack, YouTube, anywhere you just search We Aren't Dead Yet. We came across this collection, like we came across writing it because Emily is a master when it comes to creating horror worlds. She just is. She just, that's her thing. It's incredible to see her do cosmic horror and body horror. It's amazing. And for me, this was the right place to put in my anti-hero fall story. My, it's a novelette. So, you know, like a novella, but kind of skirting between novella and novelette. You know, it's about 16,000 words called Whiskey and Sinner's Blood, where the character of Carolee starts off in the 1990s as just an Irish mum. You know, she's just <laughs> living through the troubles in Ireland. She is there with her husband and her son. And she's, you know, working part-time with the butchers just to kind of make ends meet and, and make sure they have, you know, what they need in life and things like that. And she's disappointed and, and, you know, doesn't necessarily, you know, like where she's at in life. But what are you supposed to do? This is life. This is how it goes. And then her husband comes home with freshly brushed teeth, his hair brushed. And a bottle of whiskey. Mm -hmm. And she's instantly suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) Something
0: wrong with it. (laughs) Uh
1: And through their conversation, she eventually finds out that Carolee, my love, I promised our son to the Fae Queen for a set of favors. And the bottom of her life falls out. And the rest of the novelette, Carolee ends up basically go descending into this place of desperation and violence in order to rescue her son and just find a better life and i love one specific part of whiskey and sinner's blood which is very important for me when i'm crafting a character like carol who does appear in char and ash and in son of abel like Carolee is a is a recurring character the, there's moments where she's capable of redemption There's moments where she's basically handed the right situation. Like, Caleb Malthuson appears in Whiskey and Sinner's Blood. He's there, and he's like, oh, hey. And and she has that moment where she could just open up and spill what happened and talk, and then everything would be okay, and it would be figured out. But instead... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, have to read Whiskey and Sinner's Blood, but it's incredibly, wonderfully emotive and just an incredibly rich character that I love to just dive into so well. Um, and uh, yeah, so very proud of that. I'm also very proud of the work of Emily Armstrong and Kes. Uh, they both rocked it. This was their first uh, literary publication. Um, Kes Bischoff is a game master for t- television, TTRPGs, so tabletop role-playing games with over 30 years of experience. She's incredible in crafting stories for people to play collaboratively. And then Emily Armstrong is a media producer, and uh, this was her first literary work. They just they rocked it. It was incredible. They
0: rocked it. Definitely. <laughs> they rock, rock, rock it. And congratulations <laughs> for all your books, Miss Bernal. So... <laughs> Can you invite our listeners to support all your books?
1: Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for supporting Book 101 and Food 101 and everything that uh, Dave Daniel Lucas does. It's so incredible to see the platform just continue to grow and to see everybody that listens in and supports. You can find my books at safaburnell.com. That is S-A-P-H-A-B-U-R-N-E-L-L.com. You can also look me up. Basically, my books are available widely. They are distributed all across the world between Saxo and Books a million and everywhere that you can kind of think uh, of finding a book, anywhere that Ingram is, so are my books. I'm very glad about that. Uh, and then you can also find them on Amazon as well. But for more information on where to find my books, please go to saffaburnell.com. You can also check out my social media handles. I am on X, Instagram, I'm on Blue Sky, all at Usurper Kings. I'm also on Twitch at Usurper Kings. And I just love it if people just supported the arts as you can if you're in a place where like yeah well i'd love to but that's a lot of books to purchase all at once uh please go to your local public library and let them know that you would love to see the works of sapa burnell in your library collection and libraries purchase books it is a fantastic thing and then as many people as possible can read them and that is one way that i absolutely say is fantastic so please uh if you can I would love it for you to own a book of mine, um, but you can also go to your library and say, "Hey, I think you should bring in this author. They're really neat.
0: Yes, people support Miss Safa Bernal because you support her more more, more cyberpunk books to come. Mm. Uh, if you want to <laughs> listen to our previous episode, we had have a lot of episodes of Miss Safa Bernell. We talk about her books how she crafted it, how she manipulated it, and how Miss Lava Bernal created those interesting and wonderful books. So, Miss Bernal, thank you for your time.
1: And thank you for yours. Thanks for having me.
0: Welcome, people. See you soon. I'm Daniel Leakey.